All right, we're going to be reading from John chapter 4, verses 31 through 45, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do do you not say, there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast." Father, would you help us to be still this morning and to trust you? Thank you that it's, it's your pleasure to speak to your, your kids, that you truly do delight when we, when we gather in this way, when we look to you, when we come to you to meet all of our needs, our thirst, our hunger, Lord, would you speak to us in that way this morning? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again, Megan, uh, for reading this morning. This portion out of John 4 that we just heard is actually the second half of a, of a larger story. And the first half we looked at last week, and it's the story of uh, the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at a well. And uh, it's a beautiful story, absolutely. Um, Captures the heart of Jesus in so many ways. The fact that he would go well out of his way to meet uh, this person, this woman who was an outcast. She'd been rejected by her peers, by her people, her village. Um, So that she had to go out to the well um, in the middle of the day all by herself And uh, Jesus went out of his way to meet her and reveal himself to her um, in a spectacular way. In fact, I don't recall mentioning this last week, but this is is the big unveil. Um, We're only in chapter four, so we've got a ways to go, but we've already covered a lot of ground. Last week, this woman, the Samaritan woman, The Jewish people were not on good terms with the Samaritan people. Don't need to get into all of that. But for the first time, Jesus finally unveils his true identity. And it's with this 
this woman out in the middle of nowhere at this desert well. And uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, constantly throughout uh, the, the journey, this walk with Jesus that we're on, people are always wondering, debating, arguing over who is this Jesus. Some acknowledge that he's some sort of a prophet or special teacher from God. Occasionally, there's a few people who just, they get, they get it. They get a revelation and they declare, this, this is, I think this is the Messiah. I think this is the king that we've been waiting for. Of course, even then, no one really quite understands what that even means. There's a lot of expectations. and So this is something that Jesus reveals his true identity to this woman out in the middle of nowhere. Um, the disciples who Jesus had been traveling with, they, they had left Jesus alone at the well. So they missed this whole interaction. They come back as Megan just read, on the tail end. They, they see Jesus talking to this woman. They obviously have missed the whole conversation. And they're wondering to themselves, they don't say it out loud, but it's implied. They're wondering, who is this lady? Why is Jesus talking to her? Um, and Rabbi, eat, look it, we got lunch. We're back, we have the food. Um, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus, of course, begins talking about a different kind of food. He said, no, I, I, I'm good, I'm good. I've just had an incredible meal in participating with uh, the work that my father has given me to do. I am good, satisfied. And the disciples seem to completely miss the moment. I want us to consider what this might mean for us this morning. Do you ever wonder, like, what is God up to in the world around me? What is God up to in my life? God knows I've, I've prayed. I've, I, I'm longing to see God like, do something in my life, perhaps intervene in some kind of a miraculous way, or even just include me in his plans. Like, I, I want to be involved. I want to see God utilize my life for, for all that it's worth. And yet, how oftentimes do we find ourselves, do I find myself, thinking, man, what, am I missing it? Am I, am I perhaps a little bit like the disciples who they have no idea what's just happened or what they've just walked into? And all they can think about is, Jesus, we got the food. We got the food. Rabbi, eat. Of course, the irony, the irony, if we were to just keep reading, eventually Jesus, in just uh, like two chapters, just a few days go by, and we find Jesus feeding a crowd of 5,000 people, or 5,000 men, we're told, which means there's probably women and children there as well, a big crowd. They're all in the middle of the Judean countryside someplace, and his disciples, once again, they're, they're concerned that they're not going to have enough food, so they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you should send everyone away. We're, we're not going to have enough to feed everyone. He said, well, what do you have? Well, there's a little boy here. He's got five barley loaves and a couple of fish, and Jesus says, fine, that's, that's plenty. Give it to me. He blesses it commands his disciples to begin distributing it, and there is more than enough 
apparently five loads of barley loaves left over. The next day, Jesus is speaking to the same crowd, and he starts talking about uh, the bread that once came from heaven. He makes this uh, reference to, to the people of Israel being led by Moses through the desert. And there was thousands of people, and they were hungry. And so Moses said, God, we need food. And God says, right, tomorrow morning, you're going to find this bread-like substance scattered all over the ground. They called it manna, which literally means, what is it? Jesus is speaking to this crowd of 5,000 people. They've all come back because they, they got a free lunch. And Jesus says, I need, I need you to understand something. You're, you've come back not, not because you got a free lunch, but because you're actually hungry for something so much more. And, and I want to tell you something. I am bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. And Jesus' disciples are like, Rabbi, eat. Eat, Rabbi. As if, as if Jesus needs his disciples to go to the nearest town and get lunch for the bread of life. Okay. It's, it's almost like comically ironic. So... The disciples are easy to make fun of. They ask these questions or they obsess over these things and they just consistently seem to like miss the point. And, uh, and we're like, ha ha, these guys are, are complete, you know, silly disciples, constantly missing it. But the stories that are told, these moments that are captured, as John, the gospel writer John, uh, retells these moments, it's meant to be like a picture of us as we follow Jesus. Jesus is doing something incredible, uh, has just ministered to this woman, this very, very broken person, totally changes her life. In a moment, she realizes that she's not the, the outcast, the reject that she had been led to believe she is. Now, she's loved. She is loved, so loved that God would send his son from heaven to go out and find her, to seek her, to rescue her, to restore her and give her new life. It's awesome. I was actually watching, I, I, I'm, I'm often referring to The Chosen, you know, the, the TV. So I went on YouTube last night. I've got to watch the scene. Just have a box of tissues. I am not exaggerating. It's such a powerful uh, depiction of this moment um, in, in this, this story. Powerful, powerful moment. And the disciples miss it. How do we not miss the work that God is doing around us and in our lives? I want to talk about, now, I'm going to take some liberties here. Sometimes I do this because there's, there's something here that I think needs to be unpacked. There's like a, 
there's a, there's a dynamic. There's this thing that's happening in the lives of the disciples and Jesus and the whole story that's in seed form. But if we, if we just keep sort of pulling back the layers, you find that there is a very specific reason why the disciples do seem to consistently like miss it. They're constantly losing the plot and it's this story of Jesus like bringing them along with him. And this is our story. We're being brought along and Jesus is trying to help us. This is, this is how I want you to experience life with me. This is, what, this is what I don't want you to miss. And so this is what I want us to consider for us. There's a couple of ways that, that we can miss what God is doing in or around our lives. And it really depends on how we see ourselves or how we see our working relationship with God. So the Bible, I mean, it, it's like a, it, it encourages us, commands us a lot to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Uh, I remember um, I used to drive down this street on my way to teach when I was a middle school teacher about a long time ago. And there was a beautiful mural that someone painted on their garage. Um, really nice font, nice picture. The whole garage door was a, it was a verse out of the book of Joshua. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. It's a great, it's a great verse. One day I'm driving down, I would always enjoy it, I would always look forward to seeing it. I'm like, I said, what a bold thing to like write on your garage door. How many thousands of people were looking at that every day? And one day I was driving by and I looked to see it and someone had added an additional word at the bottom. It had obviously been done with a can of spray paint and it read, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord hot dogs. You can't help but chuckle a little. <laughs> of all things, hot dogs. All beef kosher, I'm sure. And it was kind of sad. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's lame, it's sad, and also kind of funny. But we're meant to serve God. God gives us life, he gives us breath, he gives us skills, he gives us research, all these things, and it's not meant to like be hoarded. We're not meant to make life all about us and just hoard the things that we've been given, but no, we're, we're, we've, we're given these gifts and, and life and resources uh, to serve God and, and people. Jesus said, whatever we do for the least, we're actually doing for him. So our serving God actually works out in very like human terms, practical ways. But there is a call to serve God. But depending upon how we understand what, what that means, like what, how do I serve God? How am I really meant to think about that, uh, go about doing that? And what if, what if I do have a little bit twisted in my mind? Is there a way to be serving, quote unquote, serving God, and yet completely miss like the thing he's actually up to in the moment. And this is what I want to consider. So there's two ways we could think about our working relationship with God. Number one, we can work for God. Or number two, we can work with God. Let's talk about working for God. So the idea of working for God is I, I essentially make God into my employer um, or maybe my investment partner, if I like to think of it that way. But I, I do the things 
I give, um, I volunteer, I show up, I say my prayers, I give my money, There's, you know, we can go on and on and on, all of these things. And if I do my part, then my investment partner or my employer is then at some level obligated to pay me my wages. He's got to do his part. And thus I'm working for God. It's a business partnership. I do my part, I expect him to do his. When we think about serving God in these terms, the line between working for God and God working for me can get really blurry really quick. I'm working for God, I'm doing these things, I've obeyed to the best of my ability, God knows I've made so many sacrifices for the sake of his glory, and now God, you, you need to do your part. Who's working for who exactly? Who owes who in that scenario? And so that line can get very thin very quickly. And I think, to some degree, this is how the disciples viewed their working relationship with Rabbi Jesus. Now, I want to pull an example out of one of the other Gospels. There's, there's plenty in John, but this one, I think, captures it so well. It actually comes from the Gospel according to Mark. Let me read this to you. It'll actually be on the screen. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 28. Peter, of course, he would have been one of the disciples who showed up at the well with the food Rabbi eat. It says, Peter began to say to him, Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for the sake, for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Super cool. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus actually said this in response to, um, well, he had just had this interaction with a rich person, super young, rich ruler, and Jesus challenged this young, rich person, look, leave everything and come follow me. And we're told he couldn't do it. He's like, I just, I can't do it. I've done my best to, 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 to obey all the laws. I've lived a moral life, but you're asking me to give up too much and I can't do it. So the young rich man left sad. He was heartbroken. And then Jesus makes this comment about how difficult it can be for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Because that's, there's a lot of security. There's a lot of comfort we can find in our, our material resources in this life. And then that's when Peter states his point. Look, Jesus, we've left all these things. So what do we get? Like we, we gave up everything to follow you. So talk to me. Like what, what, what's the payoff here? It's good, right? And he's like, yeah, well, it's good. It's good. Trust me. There's nothing that you can give up in this life that you won't receive back a hundredfold. It, it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it in this life with persecutions and in the life to come, eternal life. Oh, but remember, 
In my kingdom, everything's inside out. The first will be last and the last will be first. And I can't help but think, Peter was probably like, yeah, but you've said that before. I have no idea what that means. Of course, we have the whole Bible to, to figure it out. And what he means is that, yeah, you'll be blessed, but the way you get there, it is so backwards. And in fact, even the way that you're thinking about you serving me in order to get something in return, yes, in, in the real world, that's absolutely how it works. You go to job, you go to your job, you work hard, and you get paid your wage. You get paid your wage. In my kingdom, it's completely inside out. You actually get paid up front. You get your whole lifetime salary up front. And then the work you do is actually meant to be some sort of a, like an overflow of like, I am rich, I've got more than enough, I am blessed, I have everything I need, I am content. Let's worship. And then we begin to express our gratitude. We, get, we, we begin to serve the Lord and work out of an overflow versus an attempt to get something from our employer, the one who writes the checks, the one to whom we go to for our wages. Now, this idea of working for God, it's what you can call spiritual transactionalism. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's a a psychological term, transactionalism. It's the view that our interactivity with God and neighbor by expansion, extension, exists as a set of transactions within a reciprocal or co-constitutive exchange. Spiritual transactionalism. I bring something of value to the table and I expect to receive something of value in return. And on a purely human level, that's, that's pretty much how life works. I come to a, a church, I serve a little, I give a little, but I, I expect to be fed. I expect to, to, to receive something in return, and that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course, it can get twisted. We can begin to serve with a very um, definite expectation that I have given and now I expect a payoff. And we can get relatively manipulative in the way we sort of go about our relationships. And in fact, what can end up happening oftentimes, and I'm just, I'm speaking as like a pastor who's, I've been serving in this way for a little while. Here's what I see often happening. You, you approach, let's, let's say a relationship in the church or with the church with this sort of transactional mindset, and either you can end up using the church or being used by the church. You can either end up using the people and the systems and the ministry opportunities, like being up front. This is fun, I get all the attention. And we all know of pastors who have gotten drunk on the thrill of being the center of attention. And you can end up exploiting people and making this all about yourself. And people get abused, people get hurt. Humans get exploited. 
So you might be on one end or the other, but when we approach our relationships, particularly within the church with a sort of transactional mindset, people get hurt, people get used. People receive opportunities to exploit others. In God's inside out kingdom, we don't need to exchange service for goods. The exchange has already been made on our behalf. It's not about gains, it's about being content, content with being loved by God and loving others the way he loves us. I'd like to read an excerpt from another part of the New Testament. This is out of uh, 1 Timothy chapter six. One of the early church leaders, an apostle named Paul, he writes a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And this is what he says. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound or healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, were, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. How extreme is that? Food and clothing and we will be content. This challenges me on so many levels, it's not even funny. (laughs) Could you imagine being content? I've got Jesus, I've got food and clothing. I'm blessed, oh my goodness, am I blessed. Now who can I share my blessings with? That's God's vision for his family. That's unreal to me. Could you imagine living that out? We should imagine living that out and like totally work on it. But my goodness, who's gonna go first? (laughs) Yeah, it's a lifelong process. Godliness, if you think that being godly, working for God, is somehow gonna pay off because godliness is a means of gain, um, apparently you're like depraved in mind. You're sick, you're unhealthy. You're thinking about relationships and even you're, you're working a relationship with God himself as if it's some sort of a, a transactional arrangement. And God says, no, 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 not, that's not my, how my family works. That's not how we do relationships. So let's talk about working with God. There's working for God, but let's talk about working with God. This is when we view God more as my good father who loves to take his kids to work. He loves it. It's when we're working together, me and my father, when we're working together, there's deep satisfaction in our labor, like enjoying a gourmet meal. 
I have food that you don't know anything about. Oh my goodness, I'm full. I've been working with dad. So good. It's when we sow and reap together. It's when I realize that I have been created to work with my heavenly father and I only work when he's working and I rest when he's resting. I'm not working for him because he's like the boss reclining behind the big desk with the leather cover. I work with dad and I rest with dad. We only work together. My goal isn't just to feed Rabbi Jesus, nor is it to work for a wage, hoping that perhaps he will see my faithfulness, my service, and maybe compensate me. Is this like messing with anyone's way of viewing Bible? It should, some of you, if you're, like, if, you're, if you're like really into Bible, you should be thinking, yeah, but, yeah, but. Yeah, but, yeah, but I thought if I did the things, then God would reward me. I thought if I sowed, then the promise is that I would reap a harvest. If I don't, if I don't give up, if I don't get tired. Like, isn't that true? Yeah, that's, that's totally true. But there, there's, there's more than just a few verses that we need to consider here. We can do all of the things working for Jesus. Rabbi, eat. Look, we got the food. Do the thing. And completely miss what God is doing in the moment. Thinking that, man, I'm doing all the things. I'm showing up. I'm going to church. I'm serving. I'm giving. I'm doing all the stuff. I've been such a good Christian for like how many years now? God, when am I going to get my bonus? When is this going to actually start to pay off? Because I'm getting tired Shoot, should probably just go find another church, one that's going to feed me, right? Hmm. It does kind of, kind of tit- turn things on their heads a little bit. What if there was a way to work with God, to where my work wasn't being done for a wage? with some expectation, which may or may not be a realistic expectation, but I'm working in hopes that I will receive a wage. But what if God's family is completely inside out? We get paid up front, which makes my labor a joy, a fulfilling joy that I get to participate in the work that God is doing. Romans 6.23, here's a good one. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the world of transactionalism, we work first, then rest, and play if you can afford it. In God's family, we rest first, then go to work with our Heavenly Father. Only it's work that feels an awful lot like play because we're not doing it for the wages. We're beginning from a place of gift, of gratitude, of worship, of contentment. 
This says something about how we should be viewing not only our working relationship with God, but work and rest itself. Let's go back to Genesis real quick. Um, Genesis is this beautiful, I would say, poetic story about how God created the world. And it's broken up into this, these days, and there's all these, this symmetry, light and dark and sea and land and male and female and all, it's just this beautiful picture. And everything that he, he makes, these different contrasting things that he's making, he does on days. And when he finally gets to the sixth day, he makes the man and the woman, the male and the female, and he says, oh, that's very good. And the man and the woman together are meant to resemble who God is, what he's like. On the seventh day, the next day, it says God rested. So when the humans come into the picture, we get created, and day one, rest. Rest. God's been working, 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 working. But once the humans enter into the picture, the very first day of our existence begins with rest. And then God says, okay, dude, we've got, we've got some cool work to do. I wanna include you all in this thing that I'm doing in the world. Which means Sabbath rest isn't merely a day to recoup from my long, exhausting week. It's meant to be a reminder I work when God's working and I rest when God's resting. We work and we rest together. The humans rested on day one, which would have been God's day seven, not because they were exhausted. They hadn't done anything. They rested because God was resting. We work when God is working. Remember the bread from heaven? So Jesus talks about the bread from heaven and he says, I've actually come to tell you I am the bread of life. And God's kids, his people were instructed, collect the bread for six days. And on the sixth day, make sure you collect enough for two days because I want you to rest on the seventh. Isn't that like the weirdest thing ever? Like why would God do that? It was to remind his people that we're to work when he works and rest when he rests. And if we think that I'm working, 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 so that then on the seventh day I can justify taking a day off and maybe spend it with God and, and call it spiritual and maybe get a little, some kind of compensation, we may actually miss the very thing that Jesus is doing and wants us to be a part of. We may show up, Rabbi, eat, I've done it. Oh my gosh, I'm dying, it's so hot out here. It's the middle of the day, it's high noon, and dude, please, someone get me some water, I'm about to die, but Jesus, eat the food, eat the food. And Jesus is like, no, I'm good, I'm good. You're not, you're missing what I'm doing. This is working with our Father. Now, here's the challenging thing. How do we do this? How do we do this? Because I, I, I loved what John said. Or no, no, it was Ben. You were talking about, we are living now in this kind of time where coming to church this morning, by the way, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I know a lot of people, myself included, 
it feels a little hard. I don't, I don't know exactly why, but it's harder to get here now than it was two years ago. It's like something has happened. Something really weird and uncomfortable has happened. And getting here feels like this is costly. Like I've worked really hard all week. What I really need to do is sleep in on Sunday. And that, that will be like Sabbath rest. Me and Jesus wrapped up with a blanket and a book in bed. Can I, can I challenge you? Can I suggest? Maybe we need to rethink our, our view of work and rest. Now, I've never, ever, ever worked harder in my life than when I was a middle school math and science teacher. I remember falling asleep behind the wheel several times. This is when I became a coffee addict because I was just exhausted all the time. And I had no idea what I was doing. It was, I was just flailing, flailing about, trying to keep my head above water. So I get like hard work is tiring. And there's no spiritual wand you can just wave over it and make it all, all fine. But I think sometimes we think that, man, I'm working, 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 working. Hopefully God's going to see my faithfulness and it will pay off. And dang it, I earned my day off this week. I'm staying home. My challenge is, I think, I think you might have it twisted. I think we all might have it slightly twisted. I've been working so hard trying to get it untwisted myself because I know that when I work with God and rest with God, it all somehow becomes more like play than trying to simply earn a wage. And I'm not trying to make this into this simplistic thing. I know it's complicated. And some of you all, you're like, I gotta go to work, man. This, this is, this is, these are nice words, but I'm working like multiple jobs to put food on my table and get repaid. I get it, it's hard. I believe that when we recognize that Jesus is with me, and I'm not just working to have a day off or to somehow hopefully get compensated, I'm working with my Father, he's with me. He's doing something right now in the moment and perhaps my obsession over getting the meal to Jesus isn't the thing I should be focusing on. Perhaps sometimes I exhaust myself because I slip into this mindset that I'm working for Jesus when he doesn't need my sandwich. He doesn't need my falafel wrap. He needs me to be present and to be engaged in what he's actually doing in that moment and forget about all these other things that are just stressing me out and causing my anxiety to spike anyway. Jesus is doing something right here in the moment. And here we are, Rabbi, eat. No, no. I'm good. Come and be a part of what I'm doing in the moment. In verse 27, we're told specifically, no one asked Jesus what he was seeking or why he was talking to the woman. John tells us that specifically at the very outset of this part of the story. The disciples didn't bother asking Jesus, who is this woman? Why are you talking to her? What are you doing? They were just like, what are you doing? thinking to themselves, Jesus, what are you doing? We have food. Here's, here's the practical. Can I invite, invite the worship team to come up front, please? Here's the practical thought for all of us. For this week, the next time you find yourself 
feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe even frustrated and a bit used, pause and say, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you focused on right now in this moment? Because I'm an anxious mess. I'm exhausted. I feel like I've given so much and I'm just depleted. I know that's not from you. I know that's not your plan for my life. Jesus, what are you doing? Who are you focused on right now? Am I supposed to be resting right now? Am I doing all this stuff? Thinking that this is the thing that I'm supposed to do in the name of faithfulness, when in fact you're like, I'm, I'm asleep. I'm, I'm taking a nap, portside. I don't know what you're doing, but you can come and rest with me if you'd like. Or perhaps the things that we're working so hard on, Jesus is like, I don't recall asking you to do those things in that manner. Jesus, what would you have me do? What is the life-giving work that maybe even feels a little bit like play that you have for me right now, today? We have to at least begin by asking the question, being willing to realize, like, maybe I've got it a little twisted. Maybe I'm thinking about this whole serve the Lord thing in, in, in the wrong way. Maybe some of you, you're like, I'm not, I'm not, I have no problem because I'm not even serving God. (laughs) I can't be bothered. I'm doing other things. My life's good. Well, I think you're missing out. I think God has saved you and created good works for you to enjoy with him. Can we stand together, please? We're gonna take communion now. The bread and the juice. Um, We have a communion station on this side, stage right, and then another one on this side. We actually have a gluten-free option on this side, my left, your right. And if you're upstairs, we have some little elements up there as well, although you're welcome to come down. Communion represents what God has done for us. It's the gift. It's the starting point. We don't come to our Heavenly Father saying, okay, I've done all this stuff. I got my life together. I made all the right choices. I've sacrificed those sinful things. And, and now, now can I, would you please bless me? Because I've, I've worked really hard. Nope. Communion is, I'm a wreck, I'm a mess. I have no answers. I've got nothing to impress you with. All I have are two empty hands. Father, would you bless me? And our Heavenly Father says, oh yes, oh yes. I've sent my son Jesus to die for you. 
the great exchange has been done. I have worked for you. The free gift of God is available to all who would come. Resets us, reminds us that God's not interested in business partners. He's not looking to get us to work for him. He's inviting us to join his family and work with him, to enjoy him, to play with him, to experience his rest. If that means something to you, if you would say, oh yes, that's the rest I'm looking for. I've got empty hands. Yes, please. I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love this meal that you've, you've described. Then come, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, take it back with you to your, your pew. Maybe have a moment with someone you're sitting next to. You can pray for each other. And then when you're ready, eat the bread dipped in the juice and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. After we've all done that, we're going to worship. We have one more song. Whenever you're ready, 